Welcome to the Kickstarter Journeys podcast brought to you by Fundamental Games. Each episode will provide you with some insight and opinions about successfully funded Kickstarter projects from the creators themselves. Here's your host, Wes Woodbury, ready to learn about another successful journey from the popular crowdfunding platform. Enjoy! Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Kickstarter Journeys. Today we have with us the mighty bearded Tony Vasinda of... What is that? Plus one experience? Yeah, the how plus I pronounce it? Yep, yep, absolutely. Yeah, how's it going today, Wes? Going fantastic. How's life treating you? Uh, it is going well. I just had a birthday, just another year around uh, the sun, and um, just finished up on one project, and I'm getting ready for our next project and kind of looking at what's going to happen for us uh, at the plus one experience for the next year. That's awesome. 2021, plus one. I think it'll be a good year for you from what I've seen so far. Um, to kind of introduce where you're from, uh, pro travelers, our Kickstarter journey today is taking us beyond to a land of beards somewhere in the Whiskerverse. Today's guest, Tony Vicinda, is one of the creators behind Beards and Beyond. It was a Kickstarter back in March of 2020 that successfully funded nearly $5,000 US uh, for what's called a zine. We'll talk about that and how close to 200 backers, and I'm sure it's got some more interest even after the campaign. So, Tony, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how Beards of Beyond came to be. I know you've got kind of a um, a mustache beard product line. I don't know if that was before or after this, and I'm curious to hear how this all came to be. Yeah, so whenever people ask me who I am or what I do, um, it usually uh, has, you know, there's always a few different titles, which is, seems pretty common in the game design universe. People do a few things to get by, but um, I am a game designer, uh, a missionary and community builder, uh, but I'm also a beard balm magnate. So um, I make my my money for my house and my family and everything else by making uh, beard balms. And we, we started really intentionally with niche marketing a long time ago, but I have a rule that I don't participate in niches or market to niches that I'm not a part of. Um, and so after we had started one brand, we started looking at, you know, what's another brand uh, that we might want to do? And I just, for a long time, had wanted to do something with tabletop gaming. There, You see so many beards, you go to a convention, um, you know, not not right now, but, you know, if conventions were happening, you walk around, see all these amazing and uh, great beards. And so I just thought, you know, like, let's try it. Um, and kind of put it together and did a little bit of a soft launch and did some basic brand work a, a couple of years ago. And part of that was as just a simple lead magnet. Uh, one of my friends was like, hey, do you think you could make like a two page role playing game that we could put out? And so I went and yeah. I set up my friendly local game store and, um, you know, spent a, a week sitting there and drinking beers and eating ice cream and just knocking out this two page game uh, called Beards and Beyond. And we we put it out. And about 2,000 people downloaded it, uh, and it just kind of came out of just starting to market and build up the idea about what is, what is the connection between tabletop games, uh, role-playing games specifically, and beards. Very cool. 2,000 people, that's pretty impressive. And, well, um, yeah, this, it, didn't, it didn't happen right away. It took about eight months for us to get to that point. But <laughs> You didn't snap your fingers in it. Everything happens over time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was a blast. We kind of just put it out. Um, we we put it out into the world, um, you know, pumped a little bit of money into Facebook ads for it and just said, hey, here's a free 
a free game. Give us your email, unload it. And then, you know, we didn't do anything with it for the next 12 months after we after that first kind of eight month period of launch. It just kind of sat there. Um, you know, we put it out. We got feedback for it from everybody who downloaded it every once in a while. A little bit more feedback would trickle in. And uh, in the meantime, we had actually launched a, a non-successful Kickstarter that we hope we're hoping to bring back later on this year that actually had kind of a niche marketing focus. Like the focus was actually building brands and pitching them to your friends. Um, and it did it in some really creative ways that, um, you know, a lot of people, when they hear the description, think of it as a party game, but it is really way more of a storytelling game. And a lot of my friends who hate party games uh, absolutely yeah. love it. So we, we're hoping to bring that back one day. So we focused on that. Um, and then, you know, it was it, Zine Quest was coming up, which is this annual event Kickstarter does. And I was sitting there thinking, you know, I've got a lot of friends who are kicking, like kickstarting zines right now. I should take all the feedback we got from Beards and Beyond and just uh, take it, put it in, spend, spend, you know, another month or so developing this game out more intentionally, building up the art assets for it. You know, it's been play tested thoroughly uh, and just just launch it out as part of ZineQuest and and see what happens. And so that kind of that kind of took us up to Beards and Beyond being uh, a project uh, on ZineQuest last year. Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, I'm trying to develop a gaming niche within a gaming niche like zines and then beards within zines it's had to be a, a unique aspect and obviously it's not going to relate to everybody but you did get some people that really kind of clung on to it and loved what they saw and i saw that in some of the um feedback from the facebook posts that you had and some of the discussions that took part after that so that was really cool and uh, i guess like what is it about zine quests why do you think kickstarter got into zine quest was it somebody that originally kickstarted a zine and then they thought that was a good idea or was it um how did you see that um i actually am getting, getting putting together a video on this right now just a short little video so i've done a little bit of research um into it now there are there's two kind of responses to that one is the practical somewhat cynical response of well Quarter one for Kickstarter is a pretty low quarter. So figuring out what small things they can do in that quarter to increase the amount of projects on there is not a bad idea for them. Um, and I think there's a practical reality to that. But zines as an item, as an, as an artifact, as a way of creating content really harkens back to the early days of tabletop role-playing games. In the late 70s, uh, zines grew out of kind of like skater and skateboard culture as these small little, easy to assemble, you know, hand stapled, um, oftentimes hand drawn or just, you know, mimeograph copied, um, very inexpensive to assemble little magazines that people could send out as newsletters. And a lot of war game societies would use that same format. And so early role-playing games were oftentimes just collections of articles from other things or handwritten elements or rules that somebody had mimeographed copies, a hundred copies of and were selling. And you'd have to, you know, uh, write into a magazine and, and get them to send you a copy of it. But it was a lot of how RPG culture originally grew. And so ZineQuest really is about rediscovering that, about saying, how do we look back at the, the early 80s, at the early kind of years of tabletop role-playing culture and start to reclaim some of that. And so, you know, some people launch full games. We did. A lot of people just create game-affiliated content for one of their favorite systems 
or you know they'll make an adventure module or setting or just some people do art books um it has to be for zine quest tabletop role-playing game related it has to be staple um uh bound It, it you know which means it can't be more then, you know, you probably could go up to 80 pages. It'd be really hard to do. Um, you're going to be more likely to see projects that are 20 to 50 pages um, in length. And so you're seeing these smaller uh, products. And it's also a really easy entry point for somebody who's never done a Kickstarter before. You know, for a lot of projects, you know, you know this, people will spend years prepping their Kickstarter for launch. You know, a short turnaround on a board game would be, you know, six months to a year. Um, you know, I, I decided to do ZineQuest in early February and kickstarted the third week of the month, um, uh, my project, and we funded almost 10 times what our funding goal was. Um, part of that's because I was plugged into the community and was able to build a good campaign. And it was, I, I oftentimes refer to it as the most overproduced $500 campaign uh, ever. Oh. But, um, you know, th- there's certainly a skill set there. But because we already had the email list built, because I already was engaged in a lot of different communities, um, it was really easy to pop this small project out there and see it quickly fund without a whole lot of effort, without a whole lot of money put into ads, just really being insistent that, hey, here is a project. It's fun. Um, if you know me and you know who I am, um, you know, you probably um, you, you might just enjoy picking this up. And also, if you only want to back it for six bucks, like you're going to put us one percent of the way there, you know, and so it was a really easy ask for a lot of people uh, to step into. And it was really great to do it. We also did a lot of like engagement for our um, for our backers, like we let them help build the content as we went along, which was an absolute blast to kind of just have this uh, everyday responsibility of kind of going back and forth in updates and messages with people to kind of see what their ideas about what could be in the Whiskerverse, what could be a part of Beards and Beyond, and get their feedback and input. So it was a really fun kind of different way to do a project, but they lend themselves to being smaller and leaner and quicker to turn around um, than your average board game or tabletop project. Yeah, and, and I like I like how that is what you said about entry level and how you can really limit the content because people aren't expecting it done. Now, um, when you talk about your journey, I mean, you mentioned that you funded rather early, that the funding goal wasn't too high. Uh, so, how exactly would somebody who's new to this environment pick out what their funding goal should be? Should it cover their cost of art? Should it cover their cost of time? Or should it just be um, enough so that they can pay for the bare essentials of it? Yeah, I think a lot of that, that, that's one of the beautiful things since, since you know, some of the rules are like one color, which we did, a, we did a stretch goal to unlock the full color reality of the Whiskerverse. But um, the the reality is they encourage you to start with just one color. You can do different color paper, different color inks, numerous different colors of the same ink if you want to do like risograph printing or some other stuff like that. But to really kind of just stick with a very simplistic con- concept, people don't uh, care as much about, you know, is this art? high-end art they do care if it captures the feeling of what you want to do but they also don't care if it's a lot of it a lot of people since you're reading text on paper just want a white or light colored background with a dark ink on top and a little bit of art and thematic flavor to go along with that um so you're again art can be a a very big part of your budget which it was for us Um, like i had nick nazaro who as a phenomenal artist, do two pages in our zine because I wanted to work with Nick because I think Nick is a phenomenal artist. And it was one of the funniest conversations. I didn't have a budget for it. Like, I, you know, there's no a lot, of, a lot of the stuff I did. It wasn't like I wasn't considering my budget. I was like, I want to make this zine. If I wanted to just print 
200 copies of this zine. I don't have to run a Kickstarter. I can do that. You know, it costs me, you know, 400 bucks to make that run if I really, really wanted to do it. But if I'm going to, I, I want to go ahead and engage with some people in the industry who, whose work I love. And so we had Nick do two pages um, worth of kind of I, like special items in the Whiskerverse that are in the middle of the book. And he was like, what's your budget? And I was like, I don't have one. Tell me what it would cost. And he was like, oh, man, I really just like to work in people's budgets. And I was like, I'm going to say a number and it might be horribly insulting. And I don't want it to be. He's like, no, it's fine. I don't want to give you a number and have it blow your budget. And I was like, $237.63, right? <laughs> like, I was just like, like, was this specific? He was like, that's great. Like, that's like, it'll take me half a day. And that's about what I need for half a day. That's perfect. You know, so it was a lot of times working those just those conversations around like, look, I want to do this special thing, you know, um, we're funding well, or I know we'll fund well. Um, so let's make this happen. Um, you know, other than that, most of the art was done by a graphic designer that um, I do work with. He's a staff member, uh, but I freelanced him for this. Uh, his name is Johnny I. Serena. He lives in the Philippines. Um, he's a phenomenal guy. He does most of the graphic design for uh, our business and our company. Um, and for a lot of the other assorted projects I do. So he and I have a great working relationship with each other. Um, he is, uh, he's just a phenomenal guy who I, who I love getting to work with week in and week out. And this has been a really fun project to work with him on and to let him stretch his skills on layout and a number of other things. So I had some built in things that help there, but I would say overwhelmingly when you're looking at the budget for a zine, you really just want to say, yeah, what are the bare essentials? You know, it's going to, how much is it going to cost to print this? Um, the nice thing is unlike other tabletop games you're you're printing a book like you can go online and look at your preferred book printer there's mixum there's you printing there's your local print store which you should absolutely go and ask and check out um and you you get a couple of quotes and you pick the one that comes the closest to what you want to do local you're going to tend to be able to pick some different paper stocks do some different things that you might not be able to do with a large online seller but the online seller is going to basically be cheaper and probably a little bit faster than your local store also too so you've got to kind of weigh those things out um, we went with mixum which is an online store uh, because we we knew we wanted a kind of a full color feel and we didn't have any sort of specific paper requests for that um, so it was easy to get online kind of check out what that quote would be, look at a few different options and come up with our basic budget for that. And then as we started funding, we were able to start saying, okay, like we're going to do this. And, and we did, like, I wasn't sure how quickly we would fund. It was $500, but I knew it was quick turnaround. And so like, I was definitely in the position of having to say, all right, cool. Like, well, we hit $500 in an hour, right? So like, yeah. um, we're doing well. I've got 14 days left of this what am I going to do now? And so the next two weeks was oftentimes not figuring out like, oh, like, what are we going to do? But now that I have the money, who do I want to do it with? What extra thing do I want to put in this to make our backers feel valued and loved and cared for and excited? Um, and so that was for me, a lot of the entire time was saying, okay, we have the, we have the space to up this and make this a little bit bigger and a little bit better, which a lot of people don't find themselves in the position of doing. And Zine Quest creates that opportunity also too in a way that a lot of other campaigns don't yeah i mean the the layout that you did with um johnny it's pretty clean it's pretty straight and to the point and um, when you compare it to those huge games out there yours is only seven or eight scrolls long some people can probably relate to what a scroll is uh, but you can get through and understand what your zine was in a very short amount of time um, yeah. Did you have any aspirations to make it larger than that, or is that exactly what you were going for? 
You know, um, I would have loved for us to get to that that actual 10x mark. We were like at 940 or 86% funded. And I would have loved to have got to 10K. We kind of teased this out, but we had a, we had a stretch goal and we will still be doing this. Um, I just haven't had the time to invest in it because part of hitting that $5,000 goal was me being able to basically pay myself for the week of work that it will take. Um, there's an amazing company called Monocle Society that I think is doing some amazing stuff. And this this may sound like a really weird statement, but I think Monocle Society in the next decade will disrupt the tabletop game space, not just RPGs. So I think that'll be a huge focus of what they do. Um, but I think a lot of different tabletop game experiences will be impacted by the work that Monocle Society is doing right now. They have a role-playing system called Weave um, that is all managed by an app. They've got a few different settings you can build stuff out in there. So we're going to be eventually building the Whiskerverse out on their Weave platform. People will be able to buy it digitally and use the Weave dice and Weave resources in that. Uh, but Monocle Society's long-term vision is also how to incorporate augmented reality into your tabletop game experience. So you can just play a game just as you normally would, uh, but if you have augmented reality glasses, there's a lot of extra things you would be able to add there. And for role-playing games, some of the interesting stuff that might be is like handing your characters or your players physical artifacts, not having to be in the same space, but being able to see each other directly. Um, one of the things long-term might be able to be like, hey, point out at your iPad and writing a note on that that an NPC just gave a character, but actually writing it out and then making like a peeling motion off of your iPad and being able to turn that into an in-game artifact and hand it to a player to read and be able to put in their inventory. Um, so they've got some some really pretty amazing stuff coming down the pipe. Um, that's a stretch goal that I, I was really hoping we would hit. We had a lot of backers who were familiar uh, with Weave that when we started teasing it, we're getting really excited. Uh, but we ended up just a little bit shy of it. So we're going to just keep on taking into account the money that comes in for pre-sales, which we're in right now. And, um, you know, we're out in the development process. And over the course of the next year, we're going to try to get that all taken care of and get on uh, the Weave platform for that. Because we just think it's a really great thing and is a really amazing way to start mixing media um, for some kind of future looking stuff with some of the classic tabletop elements. Yeah, I'm just checking out the site now. I've never heard of it before, but Weave is, according to their advertisement here, a 21st century role playing game designed digitally from the ground up playing through multiple worlds through a, a playset system they have. And I guess, so you can integrate your own world into them or you can use their designs by paying them a certain amount. Is that how that works? Um, they will set up a life if they like you, um, which they, Kyle loved the concept of the Whiskerverse <laughs> when I started putting it out. He, he just, he shot me a message right away and just made that offer to me. But they've, they've actually got a few large publishers who um, are looking at putting their content on there, but he wants it to be available to indie creators also if you're willing to do the work um which it's just markdown coding which i'm not a coder but markdown's about the easiest type of coding you can do um and they'll send you a playset that you can kind of template it off of uh you can build it out yourself and they'll just sign a basic licensing agreement with you they'll host things you just got to maintain maintain it um and if you want them to maintain it they'll sign a different licensing agreement with you where they do more of the work and you get less of the money and so um it's a really cool uh, thing they have coming up. Um, I think right now it's just kind of like as as they see people whose products they like, they make that uh, invitation. But uh, it's a really great uh, and growing uh, company. They just relocated from Seattle down to um, uh, L.A. area again. Cool. Yeah, I'll make sure I plug their website in there as well. I think that's a, an interesting avenue for people to look at to, as the future of gaming changes. There's sometimes fear of integrating digital technology, but there's definitely some benefits that go along with that too. So cool, cool. Now, uh, when it comes to, normally I talk to people who design board games, we're talking about a, 
a tabletop RPG zine, so advertisement doesn't really happen as much. But uh, word of mouth, like you said, you, you had pre-built an audience, and um, that might have contributed to why your campaign page was short, which you didn't have to plug a bunch of advertisements or um, gameplay videos because people could really get the concept of how to play right from your content. Yeah, we didn't we didn't hire anybody to do any external content for us. One thing I didn't have time uh, because of that. For another thing, it, actually in the in the tabletop role playing game space, other people doing short videos for your games um, is actually kind of an unheard of thing. Um, and there's a couple reasons for that, and that's actually because it's kind of near and dear to my heart. It's something we just we just at Plus One started doing for other tabletop role playing games. Um, but in the tabletop space, actual play, so people sitting down and playing your game for two or three hours, recording it, and then uploading it on a podcast or streaming it live or other things like that are kind of considered uh, the win. But a lot of people will not sit down and listen to two and a half to three hours worth of yeah, content yeah. <laughs> to decide if they want to back a game. So we did run traditional ads. Um, like I did I did run Facebook ads for the game. Um, you know, we, we were very intentional about how we built those. We had our email list to model a lot of those off of and, and pull some behaviors from. Um, and we had about three X on our, like return on our ads, which was great. We didn't put a lot into it. It was, you know, um, $10 a day uh, with, you know, a little bit more the, the three days leading into the campaign and the day of the campaign uh, launch. And then the last 48 hours of the campaign, we tripled that. Um, but, you know, like, Again, when you're dealing with a $500 funding uh, budget, like, you know, uh, you you got to be really kind of mindful of what you're spending on that because it's really easy to have one set of bad ads that if you're not keeping an eye on, we'll want to run away with every bit of money you just made, too. So um, we did run some, uh, but we used, um, you know, our, we used our pixel really well um, for Facebook. Uh, we built it based on our email uh, audience for those who had downloaded and engaged with the, the, you know, the beta version of Beards and Beyond, uh, and we were just kind of really uh, mindful of that. The biggest thing was uh, just being present in the community groups, uh, both for board games and for tabletop role-playing games. And I was way more plugged into the board game side of things, and they are way less likely to back things. Um, you know, I would actually credit the biggest things on that are people I knew who who people followed because they back tabletop role-playing games. So that'd be people like uh, Philip Reed, um, James Hudson, um, the, uh, Dan, uh, Derek and, uh, and Lizzie, um, you know, they, Derek back the game for the virtual level, um, people like that, who, when they back it all of a sudden, a bunch of people see it, those types of things. I know the first 48 hours were a big, uh, a big advantage to us to funding because they were aware that we were launching the game, were interested, excited and invested. So some of those key people early on, uh, were, are really helpful. And tabletop backer party was one that I made sure we took part in, uh, also too, because they, they get a lot of people who follow them when they make that, you know, oftentimes just $1 pledge, but still it brings in a lot of other people who might be interested. Yeah. The, the follower automatic notifications can go a long way to just drive that awareness. Even if yeah. 1% of the, their followers, uh, read the, or click, uh, it'll just kind of drive you following themselves. So that's cool. Yeah. Now, I notice in, in many Kickstarters, there's a lot of reliance on the comment feed to, to talk to the audience and, and keep driving interest or awareness of the game. But maybe it's a bit different with zines, because in the couple that I've looked at, um, the comment feed is really, really low on zines. But, do you know, do, the backers tend to talk more in the updates or on social media rather than in Kickstarter itself for the, the zine aspect? It's interesting. So, you know, you never really know what kind of response you're going to get. There's some games that fund very, very well that have very low 
common rate. There's other games that struggle but have very high common rates, and there's some that do, you know, any mix in between of those two things. Uh, a lot of our, we were soliciting feedback constantly. So like I said, we actually created a character together with our backers. We let people uh, submit character ideas, one of the different characters in the game. Um, Crew Barrel Tilter was created during our game. And so people just said, you know, when, when you build a character in Beards and Beyond, it's a very simple process. So we basically just walked everybody through that process remotely. Um, we used a, a resource called Typeform that I absolutely love. Um, if people are out there looking for a survey tool during campaign. Uh, it's a little yeah. pricey, but the, the visual pop that you get on it, I think, is totally worth it um, if you're smart about how you're using it. Uh, you can spend 50 bucks to use it during your entire campaign and just use it a lot. Um, and so uh, we did that and we just walked people through it. There was voting on some things. There were just oh, kicking ideas on other ones. Uh, people submitted items later on in the campaign. We had something going pretty much the entire time doing it. Every time we sent out an update, we would see an increase in backers, you know, like, and so for us, there was an incentive to send out updates on a regular basis to keep people up to date. And we had a lot of people who messaged me, even if they didn't comment publicly about how much they loved how we engaged people throughout the course of the campaign. So, you know, I think um, Orange Nebula actually does this better than anybody else, engaging the backers in the middle of the campaign with additional content that lets them speak into the design or the lore or the world building um, of the campaign. I think they do it tremendously well. That's a lot of I, I modeled what I did um, after, but it was just a really great way to cons consistently engage them. But a lot of the things I think would have been public conversations normally went through that type form interface. You know, every time I sent one out, we would get 20, 30, 50, 80 responses through that type form. Um, and that's where a lot of where we would get the feedback that I think a lot of times you would see publicly on some of those. I think for a lot of other things, they're like um, – TTRPG stuff lives on Twitter and it lives in Discord. Um, you know, it's it's not uncommon to see a lot of Facebook activity, uh, but for a lot more of those intense and intentional conversations, you're going to see them happening in a Discord channel for that that brand or that game or a generic one that's focused on tabletop role playing games, um, or you're going to see it happening on Twitter. Those are the two places you're going to see a lot of energy and a lot of excitement and a lot of conversation about what's happening. Um, that kind of back and forth, more immediate interaction is kind of like core to the tabletop role-playing experience we want to sit around and talk to each other like that's why we play role-playing games um and yeah, so that's yeah. a lot of where you see those happen yeah and that's one of the uh things about all the social media that uh, i think i've got to up my game on as well as i'm so used to the facebook groups and the facebook posts and the ads that um, I've, I've got a twitter account and i i have discord and i've looked at tiktok but it's nothing i've really gone deep into it and i think i'm losing out on potential audience just by segregating myself into facebook because it, even when i talk to my daughter i'm aging myself here but she'll be like i don't even you know or use facebook i just look at instagram or twitter so, yeah. well then that's like a whole population that i could be missing out on so i think you, that's a good point yeah i think you have to make up your mind you know somebody in, in a group earlier today was asking it was a facebook group because i'm very active on facebook um yeah. the uh, um you know, if you're not going to invest your time in a platform, it's not worth operating on it. Like um, we say our highest returns on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, and I'll honestly like through for marketing through Facebook, for engagement through Twitter. But Instagram is actually our largest following. We just don't see engagement on Instagram. And so I put time into Instagram because we have a lot of numbers on there. 
but I just don't see the kind of response that I see in our other platforms because it's not where a lot of people who are consuming that content are. TikTok is actually very big with the TTRPG community as it is with a lot of people. It's the growing and emerging platform. And then YouTube is actually the other one that we invest a ton of time in. It is actually paying out a lot of dividends for us right now as we go into pre-sales, as we look at our next game. Um, and that's looking at how we're creating content that speaks to our brand uh, and speaks to the, the designs we do, but also just engages the community more broadly. Um, there aren't a lot of people out there reviewing indie RPGs. And so we identified that. We identified, hey, when we were looking at getting our campaign ready, no one does short content for Kickstarters. Well, like I can do that. I have a phenomenal video setup. I have been a public speaker for years. Um, and so, you know, we decided last year and then launched it in December to start a, a YouTube channel that that's specifically what we do. Some actual play, some interview content, but the focus is on really polished six minute pieces that break down and explain the game in an enthusiastic manner. And I don't have to, I don't have to personally be like, this is a game that I would love to play. I have to know who is the audience for this game and then how would I explain this game to them and approach it with that lens? I would rather not review a game I just think is a bad game. Um, and, and I'll tell somebody that if I ever get to one of those. Uh, but most yeah. of the ones that I pick, it's just like, I don't even have to like the, like this doesn't have to be a game that I personally would want to sit down and play, but there has to be something about it that makes me excited and that I could talk to a specific audience about. And even as I'm approaching people and saying, I'd love to do this for your campaign. I'd love to do this for uh, your game, even if it's been out for five years. Um, they're like, oh yeah, like no one does that. No, no one does it. That'd be that'd be really great. We'd really love that. Yeah, like can you do that for us? You know, um, and so we've we've just started getting into that because it just it's not a thing. But that's what people are willing to consume usually in a period of time to know, like, do I want to actually check this out in more detail? And so uh, it's it's a very different thing. But that YouTube engagement has been incredibly high also too. And the num our numbers aren't huge, but we've gone from zero to a hundred and almost 70 uh, subscribers right now in six weeks. Um, so it's been really quick growth um, engagement on every single post um, and people consistently sharing out the videos and making comments about how great it is to have that short content to know if they want to check a system out or not. So like the model itself is working. And so that's like, that's part of our big growth plan for this year for zine quest for us with the upcoming project we have, like we'll be doing content for our game, but a lot of it's reviewing other people's content and knowing like this is a relationship that we've now formed. And as they're putting their project out and we're putting our project out, they're going to be looking at ours and figuring out how they can help promote what we're doing also too. So it's a really collaborative community. It's a really positive community. Um, and I really I really love the indie RPG community that we've been able to engage in and form around what we've been doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can hear the passion in your voice and, and what you created and shared and actually what you have coming up next that we're about to talk about all shows that. And I think um, if you're doing videos for others with that same passion, uh, there's, there's nothing that they can do wrong in going with you. So... Um, I love the fact that you're bringing that to the table or bringing that to YouTube because really I don't see a lot of tabletop RPG, especially uh, smaller content. You see some stuff about D&D from now and again, but um, I think that's cool that you can offer that other option for people. Yeah, there's plenty now, uh, of stuff. There's plenty of stuff for D and D out there. Uh, <laughs> there is there is an absolute monstrous amount of content for Five E, like listicles of stuff that are constantly getting produced. Um, there's actually a lot of it, but it also depends on what the algorithm brings to somebody and what groups you're part of, whether you see that. Um, but that 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 is one game out of 
tens of thousands of RPGs that nobody is touching the rest of. It's just Dungeons and Dragons with some Pathfinder content thrown in. Yeah. No, valid, very valid point. Now you, um, like we said, you, you have uh, done very well with Beards of let me just uh, make a time stop there. I'm tripping over my words. Sorry about that, Tony. No problem. Cut this up. I'm a pod boy. Like uh, I love podcasts, so um, I'm used to the used to the process. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. All right, so Tony, uh, as we recap Beards and Beyond again, you had a lot of success with that. Over 200 people, over $5,000 US, uh, and you shared a lot of great things with us. And I know you've got more happening soon. You actually have something happening with uh, an artist that I'm very fond of. His name is John DeCampos, and he's doing some art for Osteros right now. And I, I just absolutely love what he's creating for my game. But I know you're working in a partnership with him, with him um, for a game or a zine that's coming up. Do you want to tell me about that? Yeah, so it's um it's a partnership between Terrible Games and Plus One, but it'll be a Terrible Games product because it really fits underneath uh, their brand. That will certainly have it in our store also too. And, and John and I have a great partnership model set up. John actually helped us with a rebrand for Plus One uh, when we started getting more intentional. When right as Beards and Beyond was finishing, and we were getting ready to to kind of push the brand a little bit further over the last year into new areas, um, we hired him to do some some art for us. I've always loved working with him. I love his game Token Terrors. I've spent a lot of time helping him play test different pieces of that and you know he has this absolutely intense beautiful solid line art that just has a very solid like metal and 80s feel but he's able to flex out into fantasy um into modern stuff and do just a lot of different things that have always blown me away i love john's creative vision and it, it's so opposite of my own i typically tend to be more sleek more iconic more simple um and uh and i just love how how he kind of just pushes the limit on every little bitty space being filled with something interesting and intense and beautiful um and so he actually wanted to make a zine i was going to put out a little bit more bnb content but really just focus on uh, you know, getting the last Kickstarter done and prepping for launching um, brand standing back later on this year. And he just asked me, like, would I create a zine with him? And he had a vision for what he wanted to do for that, but didn't know anything about how to build a system, or how to pull in mechanics, didn't want to do 5e. And John actually um, is one of the featured kind of crew members on our actual play podcasts, uh, our actual play live streams that we do um, through the the YouTube channel. And so he's already come on and done a lot of streams with me. And it was his setting was kind of inspired by a moment of play that we had. But he decided that he wanted to make Repugnant, uh, which we are now calling the world's grossest RPG. Um, and the concept is that, uh, yeah, that you are members of uh, your dwellers who live on this planet that has been overrun with trash and it doesn't really bother anybody. Like the filth is the norm now um, and everybody just kind of uh, lives in it and loves it. And it's kind of what gives everybody uh, life. So it's kind of, if you imagine Wally, but instead of everybody leaving uh, and going and living on a spaceship, that everybody just stayed and became these kind of really weird, grotesque, different mutated versions of humanity or rat people or half cockroach individuals or hog people or mutated junk uh, robots. Um, that like that's, you might actually be there in five years if we don't solve this pandemic. <laughs> that's true. Uh, but that's, that's the setting that we're writing in. And the concept is just like, hey, it's, it's an it's thing to say, like, we're not playing these high level like heroic characters. We're not even playing like crafty, you know, creative villains, um, you know, who are doing crimes like a lot of other kind of modern indie stories. We're playing um, 
absolutely gross and repugnant characters who don't actually like feel bad about the fact that they are gross or repugnant. Um, and so it's got a lot of really cool dungeon crawly aspects to it. Uh, we were just kind of working through some of the content early today, he and I, uh, but it'll, it'll be about a 40 page zine. Uh, we're getting, we're about uh, 90% on the system and about um, probably about 40% on the actual setting and story and everything. So we've got the rough outlines, but we're just kind of cranking on that right now, but it's a, it's a blast to work with him and his art style. You know, I was able to spend three hours writing one day, give him the text from that and have him knock out just some sample pages of what it was going to look like. And we already were, you know, one fifth of the way through the content for the book after those three hours. And so, you know, me writing it in three hours of him uh, doing art and just it's it's absolutely grotesque, um, but absolutely thrillingly beautiful to look at. It's going to be a really interesting art piece. I created an original system uh, for it that it uses D2s, which no one uses D2s. And if you're not familiar with what that is, it's a coin, essentially, though we are using um, the, the whole goal is that it's slightly obnoxious. Everything about it is slightly obnoxious. So um, the, we are proposing the use of triangular um, kind of coins. Uh, we'll have a premium version that that I'll cut out of wood here um, in my in my basement or laboratory. Uh, but that we'll also have a printable and cuttable and foldable um, kind of template for how to make them at home. So people don't have to worry about buying anything extra. You can also just pull a bunch of quarters out of your pocket, um, you know, and and toss those down on the table also, too. But there's a deck space mechanic that goes into that. Um, there's kind of this auricular hit sheet process. Um, it's not really complicated. We'll have some videos up on the Kickstarter that explain it very simply. Um, but depending on the type of action you're going, if you're doing something overt and physical, you do what we call a flop, which is drop a bunch of them from 18 inches onto the piece of paper. But if you're doing something at a range or more intelligent or creative, you might fling them, which is standing back from the table for a little bit and having to toss them um, at the sheet. And then if you're doing a complex action, uh, you'll put one on your thumb or two on your thumb at a time and flick them uh, onto the sheet. And that's kind of the ongoing thing. So you get this feel of whatever action your character is undertaking, the way that you're tossing these D2s kind of impacts and references that and then the way that they land on the sheet tells you and the gm what happened and you narrate the story from there so i'm i'm actually really thrilled with the way it came together it's some it's a it's kind of a an idea that was noodling back around in my head for a while but as as john was describing the system i was like this would be a really fun time to pull this out to polish this off and and do something special with it so it'll be a unique system a uh, unique setting. It's called Repugnant RPG. Um, we submitted it earlier this week, but uh, it'll be up at ttrpg.link slash repugnant um, whenever it is live. I'll make sure that that link points to that location. So ttrpg.link slash repugnant if you want to check that out. Um, we're going to launch hopefully the first week of February. It'll be a two-week project as part of Zine Quest. It's going to be a, a bright green um, kind of neon hypercolor book. We're we're super excited about it, and um, uh, it's going to be gross. I'm going to love it. Yeah, and it certainly caught my eye when I saw I saw him chatting about it. I think I saw both from you about it, and uh, he's got kind of an early site that you guys have just explaining it. And it does look it's different than anything I've seen, and um, I think it, it's a great way to escape from the, the classic RPG life and just have some fun with something different, something repugnant, as you say. Uh, yeah. So really, really cool. And kickstarting in February, and I anticipate you're going to have another success with that. So it'll be cool to see how another journey progresses, especially with a, basically uh, working together with an entire 
other game company with terrible games. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's really funny when when game companies work together. Sometimes that's just two guys saying we should do this together, which is mostly <laughs> the situation right now. John and I each have team members, and that is absolutely helpful. But um, you know, I'm thrilled. I'm I'm thrilled. I love working with John. I know you do also too. Um, he's just so so incredibly talented. And uh, you know, I after the success we had last year, after Token Terrors, after everything else that we've been able to do, I, I do imagine it'll be a quitty, pretty quick. Uh, funny in process. And that's actually, I'll say this. One of the other things I love about ZineQuest, a two-week project, um, though you may be missing out on some funds, is emotionally far less draining uh, than a 30-day or full-month project. Yeah, even even when I did that in the dungeon, I did it just for two weeks plus two days because a month, there's just too much dead time. You get a week and a half to two weeks of nothing happening unless you're spending uh, ridiculous amounts of money and then it's really not worth it. So I agree. If you can shorten the time frame, uh, it'll be less stressful in your mind and uh, you still get the audience that you're hoping to get. Yep. And I would say this, you know, we know people overwhelmingly fund on the first day or fund on the last day and they're doing it because they're getting notifications. Um, and the reality is if you're quick to your pledge manager, um, if you've got your pledge manager ready to go by the end of the campaign or shortly after, most of those people you would have caught in the intervening two weeks you're still going to catch. They're just going to hit your pledge manager instead, and they're going to be just as excited as everybody else to get that stuff, but you're going to be way less stressed about it. And I think very few people consider the length of campaign that they want to run and what their emotional energy level is uh, to be able to run that campaign. So it's something I would definitely encourage people to consider. And again, I think it's another great lesson that ZineQuest and the RPG community oftentimes teaches us um, that a lot of people in uh, just straight board game tabletop stuff could really learn from. Yeah, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Absolutely. One one other thing I wanted to share about your company from Plus One Experience is you have um, something on your website that talks about how you're supporting and reinvesting into the independent game design and tabletop culture. So every month you guys invest most, uh, and I think you say currently all of your proceeds back into the community, supporting people on Patreons, Kickstarters, and stuff like that. So that's really cool that you do that on your Plus One website. Do you have anything you want to add about that? Yeah, we, we call that our plus one forward initiative, which in tabletop role playing terms, whenever you're acting on information the GM is giving you in, in, in the right way, in a, in a creative way, in an intelligent way, in a way that supports the, the play of the game, you oftentimes get a small bonus on your role, especially in PBTA or powered by the apocalypse system. So, um, you know, that's that's just our attempt to say, like, look, the, the best thing about tabletop games is playing them and within the creative community to help other people make games that we can all play together. And so, yeah, currently we reinvest basically everything that brand makes back into uh, RPGs, to tabletop contents, uh, to other individuals who are doing great things. Uh, The group over at Love Thy Nerds, uh, Hannah Schmidt, who who I absolutely love. Uh, who is a is an independent tabletop game designer? Adam Voss, who runs World Champ Game Co. A lot of these people who are who are small designers, who this is what they do for a living, um, and you know, being a member of their Patreon or something else like that helps them do it. People like uh, Jesse from Quackalope, who's always reinvesting in other members of the community. Our ability to invest in them is just a small sign of look, like we're all in this together. Um, 
And we want people to see that. And we want people to understand in every single thing that we do, it's never about uh, lining our own pockets or raising ourselves up, but about actually what do we do well for the community? Because as, as we've talked about already, we know that that actually comes back and does help support us. It does make sure that we can do what we need to do to make sure that our brand and our company and our games get made and flourish and that we can take care of our households and our families. So Plus One Forward is about everybody being able to do that. And we would love to invite uh, anybody in the community to, you know, if you buy something from us, just to know, like, that's a big part of what we're trying to do is put money into the tabletop games community so the creators can do what they were meant to do. Yeah, no, I love it. And again, I was I'm browsing through and uh, thinking about talking about to guests and I like to see what else is happening beyond just the Kickstarter itself. So it was great to see that on your site and that you're actively part of that. I mean, we all give back in different ways. I've got different venues that I use. I haven't uh, given funds back, but I certainly give out time and um, resources to other individuals that are trying to do their own independent games. And it's always uh, as much as it takes time and energy away from myself. I, I think the payback to the community is better games from other people. And, and it just kind of comes back around with karma. So, yeah. Well sometimes, done. sometimes Wes, you might decide that you're going to take someone's beards and beyond logo and put that on the back of a set of cards that you're sending them from a Kickstarter of yours that they backed. And that might mean a whole lot to that individual, like it did to me. I mean, those small little things, that attention, that time, um, uh, like it doesn't have to be monetary. You know, um, somebody earlier today uh, said it was in an OSR community, an old school Renaissance, so like uh, advanced Dungeons and Dragons and old school clones, right? Um, so you kind of expect this crusty, like older classic tabletop <laughs> RPG guy. And he was like, hey, would you take a look at my game? And I was like, absolutely, I will take a look at your game. And the game he sent me is a game about um, imaginary best friends having a tea party with a grown woman who has been going through some sort of life trauma and her childhood imaginary friends trying to support her through that. Like it was not at all what I expected from this yeah. OSR community. And and he was just like, he just wanted somebody to take some time to give him feedback on his game. And I was like, when, when can we play this? How can we play this? You know, uh, but, but for me, that guy gave me such surprise and delight in the middle of my day that like, that's, that's totally worth everything that I invest in the community just to get that. Uh, but to also then be able to turn around and say, how do I, how do I help other people know about this game? Right. Like, which is uh, something like uh, little Katie has a tea party or something like that. I'll, I'll get you the link Wes, so you can put it down in the show notes. It's on itch. Um, so people can download it if they want to, but it's just, just a phenomenal thing that he's just looking for people to give him feedback and speak into um, how he can make the game better to get ready to go take it out to publication. And people just want some of that time. Yeah, no, that's excellent. Uh, more than anything, that time and just having a bit of experience that you can share with them goes a long, long way. I agree. Well, so I guess as we finish off here, you've been through your first full Kickstarter with your Beards and Beyond. Um, what was maybe one key learning you want to share with the audience beyond everything we've already talked about? What's something that really sticks in your mind that you learned from running that Kickstarter? Yeah, so I was, it was the last day before we launched. It was probably about 36 hours before I understood what my Kickstarter was supposed to look like. And it didn't cause me to have to eliminate everything I did, but it was a massive transition. And I think if we hadn't made those changes, we wouldn't have had the kind of success we did. And that's I could talk about the specific changes, but they're actually not as important as you're going to reach a point of clarity in the process 
for how you're building out your Kickstarter page and process. And it may come months before and it may come 12 hours before. And my big thing is when you reach that moment of clarity, do whatever you need to do to pursue that and to pursue the vision that you know you have for how you're supposed to be doing your Kickstarter launch uh, and page. I was lucky that Johnny and I were able to turn around everything we were doing um, and get it where we needed it to and hit launch 30 minutes late only. You know, like we still were a little yeah. late, only 30 minutes late. Um, and uh, and I would just say it's it's worth that delay. It's worth pushing back a couple of days if you need to. If you hit a moment of clarity, you're like, we really should be doing this then do that. Like take the time to invest in doing that because it'll be much better to do it. And even if it doesn't work out the way you thought to not be spending the entire time after your campaign, wishing you had done it succeed or not. And so I would say if you hit those moments of clarity, make sure you're listening to that. Uh, make sure you're following that impulse and don't get so tied down into the way that you're envisioning something that you can't let that new and better idea kind of bubble to the surface whenever it comes. Yeah, that, that uh, reminds me of a conversation I had with a guy named Jim Cavanaugh. I don't know if you saw his game, Kleos. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a game about Roman gods on a cool hex map with individual decks. But I think he was about uh, 16 hours away from his Kickstarter launching, and I was just kind of browsing through his preview page and gave him some ideas for his headers. And he just said, you know, he ran with the idea. He changed all of his headers and really made them more visually outstanding based on feedback that I myself had received for my own Kickstarter a year ago. Uh, and it's just cool when you can see um, that that turnaround, how somebody can take that information and change it, um, whether it's in a short time span like you and Jim or whether somebody planned it out months in advance, it can mean all the difference in somebody scrolling through your page or looking at it and then clicking away to the next one. Yeah. So, good call. Yeah, for me, the absolute one of the biggest things that we added during that process was we moved our stretched goals from just being static. We're going up to being a, a beardometer. So the beard got longer as we unlocked more stretch goals, uh, you know, covering up more, more cool things and more things just kind of popping out. So it was absolutely my favorite ad out of everything we did. And it didn't exist 36 hours before. And we just had normal stretch goals in there. And so, uh, you know, that and a couple other things were just real moments of clarity for me. And it took us from a plain text campaign that took probably because the campaign started probably at five scrolls and not seven because we unlocked a lot of stretch goals. Um, but yeah. the um, uh, it, it would have probably been closer to eight with all the text we had in there, but the kind of visual reworking that we were able to do of it um, and the clarity that came with that really were the things that turned it around. And I think absolutely made the campaign a larger success. Oh, that's fantastic and um, success you had. And if anybody wants to check out Beards and Beyond, I believe it's still available online. You can go to the Plus One Experience. I'll put that in the notes there. And uh, I, I can't recommend enough for people to check out your next project because uh, you and John working together for Repugnant is going to be pretty stellar. Even if it's not the type of RPG you would play, I think just watching what you guys do with this Kickstarter as a zine is going to be pretty interesting to see. So. And, and one of the things we will be doing on that, if it's not your jam, come back it for a dollar. Let other people see it, you know, like like help us out in that way. It's a great way to invest in someone else. But if you do that, not only are you going to get a thank you card from us digitally, which means nothing because we're thankful either way. We want you to know that. But you're also going to get some art files from the game. And I just want you to be able to see some of the cool stuff John is putting together for it. Um, and we would love to share that with you. And that just happens at a dollar pledge. Uh, and that's a huge help for us, even if it's not a huge amount of money. So uh, backing for a dollar does more than you know. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's the same with any campaigns that are live now. If, you, if you're if you browsing Kickstarter, I, I always encourage people to, to look every now and again. And even if you don't have the money to invest in a game, you can invest in somebody's awareness and um, kind of marketing reach just by putting that dollar in if you believe in what they're doing, even if you can't afford the game yourself. Just goes such a long way. So it's been great talking to you, Tony. I really appreciate you spending some time with me talking about Beards and Beyond and Repugnant and all the experience you have. Uh, I love the website that you have. I'll make sure I link that. And uh, I look forward to seeing what you bring to the table next month. So have a wonderful day.